we are uh, up to Parakhet, chapter eight, and it's kind of a new beginning in Sefer Shmuel. There are certain different parts to Sefer Shmuel. But you know, before we start, I just want to give the names of the people that we should daven for and kind of dedicate the learning to Afur Shlema for these uh, victims of the terror attack today. Eran ben Naama, Ori ben Smadar, I don't know how to pronounce this, Muiz ben Helena, Elisha ben Reut. So they should have Afur Shlema ben Hera, and we shouldn't hear such terrible things anymore. Okay, so, hi, Aline Amy, hi, hello, everybody, Neely, Anna. Okay, so what actually happens in Safer Shmuel is that, Root, <laughs> there you are. Um, what happens in Safer Shmuel is that the first seven chapters, which we just finished, the first seven chapters are really the part of the story that has to do with Shmuel himself, okay? And chapter seven kind of ended on this note of, you know, he, he, you know, he judged them all his life and he went around and this is what happened. And it was sort of like a closure of Shmuel's own personal career, which is odd because he's still alive. So if he's alive, so why are we, you know, talking about his, um, the end of his career. So chapter eight begins like a new, new part of his life. And really one of the great things that Shmuel did is that he set up the monarchy, the malachim, the kings. And so that section of his life begins in chapter eight. So in chapter seven, we, we finish the part that's talking about him himself. And we, there were a few things that we should um, point out. Okay, I'm gonna screen share now. Okay, so at the end of chapter seven, right, back to chapter seven, in verse Yedalit, Pasuk Yedalit, we have this idea. The, the cities that the Philistines took from Israel, from Ekron to Gat, until all their borders, Israel saved from the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the, and the Amori. So we saw the highlight of Shmuel's career as a lone leader was this tremendous battle that he fought against the Plishtim and how he, he, you know, he dove into God and God thundered against them from the sky and the Plishtim were, uh, you know, completely in retreat. So now you have this interesting thing here. Okay, I want to show you this, where should this, this is Radak. Radak and Yadalad, sorry. Okay. So Radak makes a comment here. It says they did not come back. The Philistines were submissive. They didn't come back to the border of Israel and the hand of God was against the Philistines all the days of Shmuel. And Radak says until Shmuel was old and then he couldn't go out before them and go around to the cities and rebuke them as he did previous to his elderly, older age. And that's why Israel sinned and the Philistines came against them. And that's why they asked for the king. This is going to be chapter eight. And if they hadn't seen, it wouldn't have happened. Okay. So the Radak is making an assumption here, which 
you know, I wouldn't argue with the Radak, he's allowed to make assumptions. His assumption is when it says, the enemies were routed, everyone was submissive, but all the days of his life, he judged Israel. However, there came a time in his life when he was not able to do what he'd been doing all along. And he, what he did, which was really, um, there are two things, well, well, we'll talk about two things, two things that characterize the leadership of Shmuel that are unusual. Number one is that he never took anything from anybody. Wherever he went, he kept, took his own things. The number two is that he did make a circuit. He went out to the people. He was not sitting in an ivory tower waiting for people to come to him. And this very hands-on approach was very, very different, right? You'll see, if you go back to Sefer Shoftim, you know, even someone who definitely judged the people like Devorah, she sat under her tree and people came to her. So there were reasons for that and she didn't want to be miyachi, but still, the pattern is that the leader, people come to them. And you have here a leader that goes out to everybody else. You have him cir circling around, traveling, not taking anything from anybody. Now, the Chazal say, we talked about this last time, there was a lot of math last time. So I just want to give you the short version. If the Aron is in Kiryat Yarim slash Telstone for 20 years, okay, the last seven of the 20 years, David is king. So that means 13 years of those 20 years is before David becomes king. And if Shaul is king for two years, that leaves Shmuel being leader on his own for 11 years. And because he was 39 when Eli died, because Eli was judged for 40 years and Shmuel was born in the second year of his judgeship, that means 39, right, plus those 13 years makes him 52 when he died. And Chazal, well, 52 is not so old. So Chazal say he prematurely aged because that was God's plan and not to go further into that discussion. So according to the Radak, at the end of his career, he could no longer make these circuits. He could no longer go out to the people. He could no longer teach them, rebuke them, bring them closer, help them. So they kind of fell from the high level of observance during the highlight of Shmuel's career, and they became much more problematic. And that's when the Plishtim began to threaten them. So this is the opinion of the Radak. Okay, let's go to Parakhet. And it was when Shmuel became old, he put his sons, judges for Israel, okay? I want to go through this, this discussion and then we'll um, go at length, you know, discuss it at length, okay? Okay. And he had two sons. The oldest son was called Yoel and the second one was called Abiyah. They were judges in Beersheba. You see that he makes his sons show him. Pasakemo, the Lohalhubanab Bidrahab. And his sons did not go in his ways. 
Vayitu acharei habatza. The root of Vayitu is nata, to turn aside. They turned aside after profit. We've seen this word before, but it's not a good word. Um, we see this when they're selling Yosef and Yehuda says, Ma betza. Right? What, what do we get from killing Yosef? Better we should make some money on him. Right? And Devorah says in her song, right, when all the enemies come to fight the Jews, betza kesef lo they do it for free. Right? All the enemies, they're, they're just very happy to come and, and fight the Jews. They don't, they don't need any, any payment for that. So it's not a good word. It means profit. They turned aside after profit. By Yekushohat, they took bribes. By Yatu Mishpat. Now, if you notice, there's a little bit of a play on words. By Yitu, right? That's the Pa'al. By Yatu is the Hifil, right? When they themselves went as after, went aside after profit, they ended up taking bribes and they ended up turning aside judgment, causing judgment to be turned aside. In other words, perverting judgment. But we have a very big problem here. Okay, um, what's going on here? How, how do we understand that? So first of all, there's a particularly tragic irony here when we see that Ailey's sons, Hafni and Pinchas, are such sinners that the whole, they destroyed the whole family of Ailey. And then you see that Shmuel's got problematic sons also. So this is something we have to really put attention to and wonder about. Moshe Rabbeinu is another leader whose sons did not go in his path. As a matter of fact, for those of you who are studying Shoftim with me, we talked about um, in the story of Pesamicha how the Levi, that corrupt Levi, right, was actually Moshe's grandson. Okay, so Moshe's also got problems. So there's something something off here and we have to try to figure it out you know perhaps we should say that it's really difficult for a great leader to have great sons and for Shmuel it's particularly painful because you know Perak Bed is this whole counterpoint how the sons of Eli are going down and Shmuel is becoming greater and greater and this great disappointment now if you recall in chapter three when Shmuel has his his first prophecy that Eli um, unintentionally curses him and says, if you don't tell me such and such should happen to you, which because I'll say never, you know, a wise person should be careful with what they say because, you know, he, he didn't, didn't mean to curse Shmuel, but he's had the same problem. He had sons who are not um, appropriate. But then, of course, there is always this thing that the Chazal do and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not true that they sinned. Or if they sin, it's not the kind of sin that you think it was. Okay, so here, right? Um, first of all, there is this comparison between Shmuel. Like, what? What's? Let's try to define it. Can we see a difference between the sons of Ailey and the sons of Shmuel? The sons of Ailey, right? They're just going off being corrupt. We don't find that they were saying Ailey's sons were not like Ailey. What we're saying, Shmuel's sons were not like Shmuel. So let's let's give stop a moment and say, who could be like Shmuel? Who could possibly have been as selfless, as devoted, as dedicated? He Shmuel didn't have a childhood, he didn't have a life. His whole mission was 
Klai Yisrael. So who could be like that? So to say his sons were not like him, okay. Then you have, of course, there's always in the Gemara, there's always this discussion of, really, I have to want to find it. I think this is it. Now a few Gemaras open for you. Ah, so this is cut up. The beginning of it says all of these have the same formula, right? In, in um, Masechet Chavez, right? Where we say, whoever says so and so sin is wrong. So this is the beginning of this. Misha Omer, call Misha Omer, you're wrong, I didn't sin. Right? That doesn't mean they didn't sin. They were not like their father, who could be like that? So then the Gemara asked, but wait a minute, what does it say? They went after a prophet. Okay. In other words, what Shmuel did was that he traveled around from town to town, not taking anything from anybody, but they parked themselves or perhaps he sent them there and they stayed there in Beersheba. So just to, for you to understand, okay, I have a biblical map here. Right? Uh, okay. The lands of Israel, a time of the Tanakh, ended at Beersheba. Like the whole, you know, when you see the, the you know, the, the map of today, that whole tale, you know, of the desert, the Negev and a lot, that wasn't really much of biblical Israel. Later on it is, in the time of Shlomo. But now we have the expression from Dan in the north to Beersheba. Beersheba is the end, the border, the south. So if there are judges in Beersheba, how far do you have to go to get to them, right? So perhaps Shmuel is busy doing his circuit up here in the, in the central area, but his sons are down there in Beersheba. And the Gemara says that they were um, where's that Gemara? The Gemara says that they were staying in one place and you had to pay. If you went to Beersheba, you had to pay for lodging, you had to pay for the scribes. There, there were things. So it became a profit. And don't forget, Shmuel didn't take any money. Shmuel wasn't interested in money, but they were. It's not so terrible. So we have to figure out what does that mean, right? Then it says, Mayor says, sometimes they asked for their miser, right? And Rabbi Akiva says, they asked for too much miser. So they were Levium and they were entitled to miser, but a Levi is not supposed to ask for it. That's a corruption. So what, what's going on here is a sort of, you know, apologetics for the sons of Shmuel. So we can take this in a number of different ways, right? But the point is, okay, later on in chapter 12, now anyone who was paying attention this past week, oh, I'm sorry, not in America. In America, you were in Shlach. In Israel, we were in Korah. The Haftorah of Korah is Shmuel Aleph Perak Yudbet. And in Perak Yudbet, that's what I think of as Shmuel's retirement speech. Tet Yudin Yud Aleph, we put Shaul in place. 
And once Shaul is in place, Shmuel says, okay, guys, right, it's been fun, and see ya, sort of, you know, and where's my gold watch? No, he doesn't say that. Okay. <laughs> but Shmuel says, my sons are with you. I got old taking care of you. Don't forget, he definitely aged prematurely if you're following the timeline of the Chazal. He wore himself out serving the Jewish people. He says, I got old. You've got my sons. So the difference is, what does that mean? You've got my sons. So some of them, Farshim, say, you can punish them if you like. And some of them say, you know, the Malbim says they're just like anybody else, right? I, I've given up the thought that they might, you know, be raised to greatness. So in other words, if you want to make a difference between Ailey and Shmuel, you can say Ailey really, he let his sons be corrupt, corrupt, he didn't do anything about it. But Shmuel, when he, you know, the Bible says Shmuel didn't know anything. He, they were in Beersheba. He didn't know what was going on. But when he's made aware of it, then he says, okay, forget it. So they know they can't be judges. They're just going to be with you. So it's a very interesting comparison. By the way, since we're on the subject of his sons, okay, this is the beginning of, say, for Yoel. Devar el Yoel ben Petuel. He's one of the 12 of the shorter books that are in Treyasar. And he's, you know, uh, one of the Nevi'im. And Rashi says, Yoel ben Petuel ben Shmuel Anavi. In other words, the same Yoel that we just read about that might have been corrupt at this point is the Navi, is a prophet. And here it says, why is he called Petuel? Because Pita Lekel Betfilato, because he convinced God, he, he, he cajoled God with his Tfilot. Shmuel's Tfilot was so powerful that he was able to convince God to do stuff. It's very interesting. So that's why if you take a Navi whose name is Yoel, and it's, the name is Petuel. So the Chazal had put it together and they say, yes, this is the same Yoel. Now, chronologically, this is problematic, right? Because we're talking about a couple of hundred years later, but this is how the Chazal view it. And over here in Dibra oh, oh. uh, no. That's not what I wanted. I hear Dibra Yamim. Dibra the sons of Shmuel, the Shmuel of Chor Vashni, Babia. So who's Vashni, right? So the the Rashi here says the second one was Yoel, right? I mean the first one was Yoel, and the second one was Abia. Therefore, he was second to the first, but he was called Shani, right? This is a little bit of a discussion here. Why is he called Vashni? And here. The Medrash says, I'm hoping I get the right Medrash here. Uh, oh dear. Yeah. This is a very long Medrash, and I put it at the right place, and now I don't see it. But basically, the Medrash says that he did Shuba. They both did Shuba. Here it is, right? The sons of Shmuel, the oldest one was Yoel, the second one was Abia. What is this? Is this was evil one? This was also Ibrahim says, and the end they did Shuba, and that's why they were called Vashni. They changed their deeds to good deeds, and that's how Yoel uh, merited Ruach Kodesh, Yoel Ben Betuel, that is Ben Shmuel.
by Petuel because he was beat to break. It's a very, very interesting thing. We're, we really digress, we've got to get back there, but I just want to talk about the sons of Shemuel. And what do we learn from this? You learn that really, first of all, any leader, any parent has to really have a clear-eyed picture of their sons. I mean, Shmuel sees that they're not um, pleasing the people, so he backs off from trying to make them leaders. Now, the real irony of this story, the real irony is that what they're asking, what the people ask in the next passage, they're going to ask for a king. The difference between the, the type of leadership they have until now and kingship is that there is something uh, about the dynasty, okay? The kings, the king's son, right? They come to Gidon, right? And they say they love Gidon so much, and they, he, they say to him, right? Mishol banu, gamata, gamben ha, gamben benecha, ki yoshatanami admejan. This is Shoftim Perakit. Gidon, we love you. You're so amazing. Be your king. Your son and your grandson, they're ready to take Gidon, and Gidon has really deserved that. And he says, They said, no, 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 you got it wrong. God is your king. I'm not your king. So we have to examine the whole idea of kingship. All right, so let's take a look where it comes from in the Chumash. This is Devarim. Okay, Parakid Zion, Pasekid this is Parsha Shoftim, which is the Parsha in Dvarim that talks about leadership and, and, and the way you were going to run the country when you come into the land of Israel. You're going to come into the land, you're going to inherit it, you're going to settle it, and you're going to say, I want to put on myself a king like everyone else around me. Classic Tesla, huh? Number one, you want to have a king? You shall surely put, right? Somtas in the double language's emphasis, put a king, make sure he's a Jew, one of the tribe. Okay, Pasuk Tetzai, don't think that there weren't. There were, there were many Jews in Jewish history who weren't Jewish. Okay, think of Herod. Okay, Tetzai. Rak loya susim. Right, Okay, just a short version. This section of the Torah talks about when you come into land and you decide you're going to have a king, this is how it's going to work. The king cannot have too many horses. Horses are a symbol of power. The Jewish king is not going to be one of these military, you know, megalomaniacs. You need as much horses as you need. You're not going to go collect horses. You're not going to have a million wives. That's a big mistake to have so many wives. And you're not going to have too much gold and silver. And the last, the last commandment for the king is, and when he becomes the king, he's going to have to write his own sacred Torah. And it'll be with him all the days of his life. And he has to learn to fear God. That his heart should not be higher or greater than his brothers. And he shouldn't turn away from the mitzvot of God, right or left. Then he will have long days on his kingship, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Okay, this is the end of the discussion. So the king has three 
Los Essays, not too many horses, not too many wives, not too much money. And one essay, make yourself a Torah. The Torah has to remind you who's the real king. Who is the real king? It's Hashem. And we say in English, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Hashem is aware that the danger of a king is that it, the power will go to their heads and they'll take, take it into their minds to do everything that they feel like. And that is not the style of a Jewish king. So here we have a blueprint, but now we're going to have some strange things going on. Okay, let's go back to our text. Okay, so he's got these two sons. The sons are not satisfactory. Shmuel is getting old. This is a good beginning, all right? All the elders get together and they come to Shmuel. They don't make Shmuel to come to them. He comes to them, they come to him. And the fact that they're the elders is a good thing. Oh, just what everyone likes to hear. Okay, Shmuel, you got old. <laughs> okay? You know, your sons are not going your path. Okay, let's just stop for a second. I think that this particular expression is insensitive at best and downright nasty at worst. Like people do not like being told, A, that they're old, right? Even if they are. And B, that their sons are no good, even if they are. Okay, so while we've said that Shmuel is not like Ailey, he knows where his sons are, are lacking when, when he is told and he tries to deal with it, right? But now they come to him and say, you're old and your sons are no good. Now put in us a king to judge us like all the nations. Okay, this is an earthquake for Shmuel. Okay, he has devoted his entire life, everything he did for the Jewish people, and they come to him, you are a has-been, you are old, we don't need you anymore, we want a king. Okay, and here's a strange thing. If you go back to the story that I just went over with you in Devarim, right? This is exactly what God said was going to happen when you come into the land and you say, I will put on me a king like all the nations around me. Uh, so, 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 okay, so what's the problem? That's exactly what they said. Put on us a king to judge us like all the nations. There's been a lot, I wanted to say, there's been a lot of ink spilled about this story and what actually is going on there. The first thing I want to say is, this, the irony is so striking to me. You know, you see here that the story of Gidon, Gidon's son was a disaster, right? One son kills the others and, and rules uh, like a dictator, terrible, right? Ailey's sons are a problem. Moshe's sons don't get, get ahead, right? Shmuel's sons are a problem. So now you want a king for the dynastic aspect. What do you, what do you want? Like, what is the point of that? And there's going to be. Well, I'm going to show you different discussions of the of the Chazal to try to understand this. But you basically have to say what what is motivating the Jewish people to push for a king, because a king just means it's going to be him and his son and his son and his son. 
So we have to kind of conclude that the bottom line, I'll show you some, you know, the Gemara's method. The bottom line is the system of government that they have until now, the system of the judges, isn't working for them. If you think about it, we've seen this from Moshe to Yoshua to all the judges that we saw in Sefer Shoftim, coming down to Eli, coming down to Shmuel. There's basically some level of local leadership. <coughs> and whenever there's a crisis, God sends them a judge and the judge fights for them and then the judge goes home. It doesn't work for them anymore. Like we need some stability. We need a king. We need to be like everyone else. We need a government, right? In order to live that kind of existence, you have to have incredible faith that God will pull through. But they're not up to that. Spiritually, they're not there. And this is very disturbing to Shmuel and also to God. Okay? So let's take a look at Shmuel and God's reaction, and then we can look at the halakhic aspects. Pasuke. Okay, And the thing was bad in the eyes of Shmuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And he prayed to Hashem. He doesn't even answer them. He, he just says, okay, Hashem, you got to help me with this one. I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know what to do. So the first thing we learn here is if you have an unpleasant piece of news, right, word it nicely, right? You're old. Your sons are no good. We want a king. You are talking to one of the most devoted, dedicated, selfless leaders ever. Give him a little respect, right? Shmuel, we're concerned. The Radak, so it's not in this thing. I'll have to show you inside. But the Radak goes through a whole list of things they could have said, things they should have said. They should have said, Shmuel, we have such respect for you. We're just concerned. What, what's going to be hala? We're, we're, we're not so, you know, we're not getting along with your sons. Maybe you could help us choose a king. Maybe you could keep judging us and we could have a king to fight wars for us. Because the bottom line is that's what they really want a king for. They want help with the military. They just don't feel secure. There were many, many things that Radak goes into a long story. Many, many things they could have said and should have said. By the way, Das Mikra makes an interesting point. Go back to our map. Okay. In the Tanakh, it's important to understand the way the Tanakh works. The Tanakh gives you the information you need to, for this particular story, right? But in order to fill in the whole picture, you need to see what comes later, what came before, and you're getting bits of information. It's not going to give you a whole you know, discussion of what's the story. So we find out in chapter 11 that they're being threatened by the king of Ammon which is the eastern border over here. And we find out in chapters 13 and 14 that they're being threatened by the Philistines who have been submissive till now on the west. So they're getting this squeeze play. So the dustmaker says, we have to understand their insecurity. Even though in chapter seven, we saw that Shmuel didn't need to go out in front of them with the sword. He just made his little sacrifice, his little lamb, and he dove into God and God took care of it. Because God listened to Shmuel, even though we saw that they just, they can't do that. They're being threatened on all sides. They've got enemies. 
They want an army, not only a king. They want an army. They want to know someone's in charge of this. So to try to understand, to get into their heads, right? So this is the Das Mikra. You know, he says, later on, you're going to find out how many military threats they were dealing with. Okay, but Shmuel comes to God, and God's like, you know what? Classic. This is a long discussion of the Mama. We'll get to some of his points soon. Listen, God says, you know what, Shmuel, just do what they tell you. Just do it. Give them a king. Not, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And God goes on. All the things that they do from the day that I took them out of Mitzrayim until today, they abandoned me, they served other gods, now they're doing it to you. Right? It's, it's an interesting kind of thing. What? Right? God says, like, this is not about you, Shmuel. This is about me. They can't handle having faith in me, depending on me to take care of it. They need to have a human being there. If you had a choice of having God fight your battle or some military leader, right? And you would clearly see which, you know, which way it's going to go. We might choose differently, but they, they just don't know how to handle that. So the Das Maker says they, they're pointing to the sons as the problem, but the, that, that's not the problem. The problem is they're threatened militarily and they're insecure without a powerful military leader. Okay, says, listen to what they're telling you, but warn them. Ha'eta is the same language that the brothers use when they, they tell Yaakov, we, we can't go to Mitzrayim because the leader there, Ha'eta, he, he warned us we can't come back without Binyamin. This is a warning. Warn them, tell them how it's going to work with the king. Okay, so let's. Let's take a look at the Chazal on the kingship question. Um, okay. Rabbi Yehuda said, three mitzvah were commanded to Jewish people upon their entrance into Eretz Israel, which apply only in Eretz Israel. They were commanded to establish a king, to cut off the seed of Amalek, and to build the, the temple. This is Rabbi Yehuda, right? Rabbi Nahorai says, the biblical passage about appointing a king in the state only responds to their complaint. When you say, I'll set a king over me, the verse indicates that appointing a king is not a mitzvah. And when Shmuel spoke to them, he intended to frighten them so they might regret their complaint and retract the request for a king. So there's, there's two sections here in the Gemara. All right, let's talk about the first. The first is, the Gemara questions, is it a mitzvah to appoint a king or is it not a mitzvah? And you could see why they have a problem because there's, there's nothing, like look how it's worded. When you come into the land and you decide that you're gonna put on your king, so, okay, so put upon yourself a king, right? That's a mitzvah. that's a mitzvah. Well, if you come to the land and you decide you want to have a king, okay, 
make sure it's a Jewish king and that he follows these rules. If you want to eat meat, right? So then you have to check it this way. But you could be a vegetarian. You don't have to eat meat. So there's a big division among the Chazal. Is this a mitzvah or is it not a mitzvah? Look how it's worded. And we have a problem. So when we have a problem, we can go directly to um, the Rambam. Okay. The Rambam is kind of bottom line halacha, right? And the Rambam says there were three mitzvot, just he's following the path of Rev Yossi, Rev Yehuda, in the Gemara and saying, it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. And it's, it's because before wiping out Amalek and before making the Beis HaMikdash, it's a mitzvah. Now the Rambam's kind of bottom line in terms of halacha. But then you have the next question. The next question is, okay, it's a mitzvah. Why is everyone so upset? They want to do a mitzvah, right? So why is Shmuel agitated? Why is God saying they're rejecting me? They want to do a mitzvah, it's a mitzvah. So then we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with what they said? If it's a mitzvah, going on that premise, then there's something wrong with the way they asked. So the Radak goes in, I don't have a Radak view here, but the Radak goes into a long discussion of what they did wrong. Okay, but we, I, I don't want to take too much time with that. He says, you could have asked this way, you could have asked that way. They didn't ask the right way. And the Rambam, I think it's in here. Okay. So the Rambam says the reason that God is angry here. Uh, okay, here it is. If it's a mitzvah, why wasn't God upset? Because they were complaining. In other words, the Rambam's understanding is it is a mitzvah, but they didn't ask because they want to do a mitzvah. This is not Shmuel, we want to have a king because we want to do a mitzvah. It's Shmuel, you know, we don't like, you're an old man. You know, step aside, old man. We need some brave young hero to take us to war. That's basically what's going on here. That's that's the opinion of the Rambam. And the Red Doc is, is similar. He said like, you know, you, Bottom line is they want the king for war, but it's, it was a very rude and, 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 and not correct request. Now the Ramban, the Ramban has a whole discussion about the story of Shmuel, I'm sorry, of Shaul, because it says in the, if you look at the Ramban, it's in the section of the Berchat Yaakov. It says, Lo Yisr Shevet Yehuda. Yehuda's going to be the, the tribe of kingship. So what's the deal with having it, the first king from Binyamin? And there the Ramban says, they... The, the request in the Chumash is worded that way because God knows that's what's going to happen. They're going to come into the land and they're going to say, we want a king. So the Ramban says, the problem is the timing. You don't ask for a king when you have someone like Shmuel standing in front of you. What a chutzpah. Wait until things are problematic and say, okay, we need a king. Or in the Radak's words, come to Shmuel and say, Shmuel, you're getting on in years, and we'd like you to set up a new system before, you know, while you can advise us, while you can help us, and not just step aside, old man. So there's a lot going on here. 
Now the Abarbanel, by the way, the Abarbanel, he was not a big uh, fan of monarchy. You know, he had to deal with Ferdinand and Isabella in you know, 1492, stuff like that. Like, and he, he, he probably would have approved of a democratic government. He says, this is, this is not a mitzvah and it's not a chayt. This is missions. You can if you want. And he compares the mitzvah of king to the Ephesto. Now, Parshas say in the Barim, it says, if you go out to war and you see this beautiful woman, you want to marry her, so this is how you do it. Don't, God doesn't think it's a great idea, but if you want to, you can. And that's how king, that's how the Abarman looks at the king. It's, you could do that if you want to. And so the problem for the Abarman is, again, you're rejecting God. God is running the show here. Why do you need a human being? Okay, and again, right, Jewish people are insecure. This is the way it is. So God says, you know what? Just go ahead. Just give them the king. But let them know that it's not a, it's not a bed of roses when you have a king. All this time, you've been led by people who are not in it for the money. They're leaving you because Hashem sent them. They're not interested in their power or their profit. But things are going to change. Okay. He returns this information to the people and uh, he says, okay, God is ready to do this for you. And I want to say, since we like to extract lessons here, that ingratitude is a source of a lot of problems because think about what Shmuel did for the Jewish people. Think about what God did for Jewish people. And the people turn around and say, this is not good enough. We need some, you know, some strong soldier. Okay, so then Shmuel starts in Pasuket Aleph, the Mishpat HaMelech. Now, we have to make a distinction between the halachot that are in Sefer Dvarim. We said that the king has three no's. Not too much money, not too many horses, not too many wives, and one yes, make yourself a sacred Torah, keep it with you at all times. By the way, I was told that they found, and there is in some museum, which I forget where, and I never saw it, but I was told that they found a small sacred Torah with like an armband that perhaps was, you know, a king sacred Torah that he wore on his arm. I don't know, never saw it, but it's really a cool idea. Anyway, so now this is Mishpat HaMelech. So if you remember the last time we used the expression mishpat in Sefer Shmuel, it was mishpat a kohanim etaam. This was the custom of the kohanim. That was in chapter two. And the custom of the kohanim with the people was not a nice thing. That was the two sons of Eli, Chafi and Pinchas, grabbing more meat, grabbing the meat at the wrong times. That was the custom. So mishpat doesn't necessarily mean a legality. So we can, we can, translated as custom or perhaps as protocols, this is going to be the mishpat of the king. Okay? Now take your sons. The first thing you got to do when you have a king is maintain his style. Shmuel never asked you for anything. Moshe Rabbeinu never took anything. But a king has to have a palace. 
He has to have an army. He has to have servants. Who are his servants and army going to be? We are children. He's going to take your sons. He's going to put them in his chariot. He's going to make them his horsemen. They're going to run before he He has to have the pomp and circumstance. A king, you can't just have a king. You know, this is not going to be going to fly, right? Classic bet. You'd bet. And some of your sons are going to become career officers. They're not going to be able to leave. They're going to be uh, officers. And they're going to plow his fields. They're going to reap his harvest. You're going to need to send your sons to make instruments of war, things that he needs for his, for his um, vehicles, for his chariots. Okay, so let's say, okay, okay then we get that. You know you need to have uh, an army. You need to have the king's you know, pomp and circumstance. We get that. That's fine, right? But it's all your sons. But what's the problem with him planting, doing the, the work of the king, right? Right? What's the problem? You don't see the problem? Who's plowing your plowing? Who's reaping your crops? Who's taking care of your metalworks and your household? Sorry, your sons are off serving the king. And you gimel that's been no yikach. Take your daughters. Now, rakachot, if anyone lives in Israel, you go to a Beit Merkachat. The Merkachat, Rokeach, is the, the chemist. Your daughters are going to be used for these functions. One is going to be like making you know, concoctions and perfumes and whatever else the king and his uh, wives need. They're going to be cooks. Tabach is in Moshon. Mitbach, they're going to be cooks. It's, by the way, it's from the language of Tebach, which is slaughter, because that's what the cooks had to do first. Slaughter the animals and then cook them. Ulofot, and to bake. Um, yeah. You want your daughter to help you in your house? Too bad. Too bad. Your good fields, your good vineyards, your good olive trees, he's going to take them and give them to his servants. Right? Okay. How's that going to work? He's going to take a tenth, right? Yeah, a sore as in maaser from Esser. He's going to take a tenth of your seeds, right? The things that you planted, your vineyards, and he's going to give them to his officers and his servants. So he said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, what's left for me? Can you see they have in Hebrew a concept called milamancha? Um, I can't even think what's the English word for milamancha. The, the theme word here, if you're following the theme word, what's the theme word? Yikach, 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 yikach. 
Yikach, your king is going to keep taking stuff from you. Not like Shmuel. Now it's okay. When you have a government, we all know this, don't we, ladies? You pay, you pay state taxes, municipal taxes, car taxes, house taxes, taxes on your food, taxes, taxes are, you know, this is what they say. You know, the only certainties in life are death and taxes. And the king is going to be taxing you away, right? This is not a simple thing he's telling them, right? And when you have servants, if he likes your servants, pick your servants. He'll take your good young, strong men, sons or servants. He'll take your animals because they have to do his work. Who is doing your work? You understand that Shmuel intends to scare them. Who's going to do your work? He's going to take a tenth of your flocks of sheep. But a tenth to you, you're going to be his slaves. You're going to be slaves. What does that mean? Right? And the Matsuda says, you're also going to have to work for him, not just your kids and your, and your servants, right? Pasuk, and the Malbim said, uh, you're going to be slaves because he's going to, serve, he's going to make your bodies his, his property as well. Okay, so now here we have the question, right? And the question that the Gemara raises on this section is, is the king really allowed to do this stuff? Okay, so go back to our Gemara and Sanhedrin, I believe, right? It's a little bit interesting that the, the discussion of having a king, whether it's a mitzvah or not, comes second to this discussion of, right? Rabbi Yossi says, all the actions that are stated in the biblical passage by the king, it is permitted for king to perform them. Rabbi Huda says this biblical passage was stated only in order to threaten the Jewish people, as it is stated, you shall set a king over you, so that his fear should be upon you. Okay, so here we have again this same dichotomy. Is this something that Shmuel is telling them, or God is telling Shmuel to tell them, so that they will say, Oh, you know what? Uh, we actually we actually thought about it. Uh, we changed our mind. No, we, we, you know, we'll stick with you, Shmuel. You're cheaper. But cheaper comes easy. I don't have to pay taxes, right? Perhaps it's all done to threaten them. The other opinion, right? Rabbi Yossi says, no, no, a king is allowed to do that. So again, in order to understand what is the bottom line, so go to the Rambam. Okay, and the Mishnah Torah help us malachim. Okay, this is just by the way. By the way, it says, anyone who rebels against the king of Israel, the king is allowed to kill him. By the way, we didn't even discuss that. Okay. But chapter four in Helchas Malachim goes through these halachas. And then I'm giving you a loose translation. Number one, the king is allowed to take tax from the nation for his needs or the needs of his war. He can make himself a a meches, a custom, a tax, a tribute, and you are not allowed to run away from paying that meches, right? And if a person, right, does not pay the meches, he can be, it can be taken from him, he could be killed for that, right? And he can take, send, this is number two, he can send in all the borders of Israel, take from your nation the brave and strong men. He can make them his army. 
put them in his chariot, put them for his horsemen. Does it sound familiar? He can have them run before him, right? All of these things. He could take your good guys, make them do his work. He could take craftsmen and they have to do his work, but he, he has to pay them. That's nice, but they're not doing your work. He could take your animals and your servants if he needs them and he has to pay, but they're not doing your work, right? And here, this is all quoting from this chapter. And your servants and your maidservants and your, your good young men, he's going to take. And he can take from all of Israel women, wives and concubines. The wives have ketub and kedushin, the, the concubines don't, right? But he has permission to take the concubines to his palace and make them cooks and bakers and perfumers. And he can take people who are worthy and insist that they become officers. And he can take your fields when he goes out to war. Now, this is an important distinction. Okay, and I think it comes out very clearly in the story of Nabot. In Malachim Aleph, we find that Ahab, who is one of our favorites, right? Ahab has a great desire for the vineyard of Nabot. It borders on his palace. He wants to make a nice vegetable garden there. He has all kinds of plans for it. And Nabot says, no, no, I'm not selling it to you. And Nabot is allowed to not sell it to him. So if the king can take your fields, as we see here in the Rambam and in the Navi, then why can't Ahab just take Nabot's field? And here is where the Rambam is explaining it. The king can take the produce of your fields. He cannot take your fields. And the time that he can do it is in the time of war. If he is waging a war and he passes through your orchard, and you've got a lot of nice apples there. He's got a lot of hungry, hungry soldiers. He could say, to eat the apples, guys. Okay, he cannot take your orchard. Okay, he can take nicer. It's an important distinction. And that explains the story of Nabot and how uh, Izebel had to have Nabot murdered in order to acquire that vineyard. But that's another story. Okay, he can take nicer from your stuff, but he can't take the stuff itself. Your fields, he can't take them. That's yours. And we go in all of these things. And the person who the king kills, his money's for the king. That's what Izebel understood. That's why she killed Nabot, if he had him killed, right? By the way, that's why those of you who are following, that's why Afritzelko kills himself, because if David would have killed him, he, his children wouldn't have inherited. Anyway, all this stuff is the laws of the king, according to the Rambam, getting back to our text. So you would think, you would think that the people will hear all this and they will say, you know, government stinks. Who needs that stuff? I'd rather have my kids stay home with me, take care of me, take care of my fields. I, 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 what am I going to do if he takes all my servants and my children? How am I going to run my, my property? I'm going to have to pay someone else. I don't care if he pays them. I have to pay someone. This is going to be a lose-lose. So you would think that listening to this, they would say, the king is taking, 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 taking. You would, th you would think that a logical person would say, uh, well, but you learn differently, okay? Pasuk Yilchet, and Shmuel says, You will cry out from before the king that you chose. And God is going to say, Oh, you're having a problem with the king you wanted so badly. Isn't that a shame? Or as they say in Brooklyn, tough nuggies. Okay? 
you did, you made your bed, you lie in it, right? Don't come crying to me when the king takes all your money and you're a pauper and you have nothing, you know, to, nobody to help you with your stuff. Don't come crying to me. You wanted this, okay? But the people aren't really listening. And that's our, 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 a real takeaway here. When you are stuck on something and you are not listening, logic will not work with you. Arguments will not work with you. Try to listen when people talk to you, especially when they're older and wiser than you. They refused to listen to Shmuel. They said, no, we, we need to have a king. We, we, we need to have a king. We can't deal with this anymore. We're going to be like everyone else. Our king will judge us. We'll go out before us. In the mindset of these people, the good that this king represents for them, the security of having an army and a leader to take care of these things outweighs all of the negatives of the government that will be taking, 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 taking. And they say no. And the language is interesting because they, they say, we want the king to judge us. And I think there's a little bit of a sop, a little bit of a, you know, uh, um, a concession to Shmuel. It, it's, we want to we wanna have the king, right? We want to be like other nations, but not, not we don't want to have their judgments. We want our king to judge us. In other words, there seems to be a hint in those words that the king is going to judge us like a good Jew, like a good Jewish king. He's going to go out before us. He's going to fight our wars. That's, that's what we need from our king. Our king is going to help us. And Shmuel, the sin, you know, he tried his best, okay? And by the way, according to Chazal, this, according to the Rambam, these are the things, the laws of the king, the things that the king can do. The things that we saw in Hamish, the things that the king can't do, plus writing the Sefer Torah, he must do. But here in Shmuel Aleph chapter 8, we have a... Um, a piece of oral law. This is, I think, the first instance of oral law that's written down. These are actually the laws of the king, which were not necessary to be told unless the king became an actuality. And now that we have a king, these are the laws of the king, and it's written down. In other words, Shmuel goes back to God. It's a very interesting thing, because God actually knows what the people said. But you see that a faithful messenger reports back. So this is what the people say. Okay. Do it. Make them a king. Everybody go home. We're going to work on getting this king situation. That's the, uh, the bottom line. They felt the good outweighs the bad. They're not really willing to listen to the, the downsides and they're, they're going forward. And Hashem says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay, next time we have, oh wait, next time, I just really want to make it very clear. Next week we have a Teul up north. I'm going to be Aisham somewhere. I don't even know where. Beit Sham, I think, at the time of the year, not any place where I could give the year. So um, next week we're going to take a break. The following week is, I believe, July 4th. So, yeah, rah, rah, rah. Okay. 
But on that day, in two weeks, we will do Paraktet, which is kind of a magical chapter. It's a real kind of Cinderella story, meeting Shaul, the first king, and introducing um, a new era in Jewish history. Okay, I'm gonna stop the screen share. Anybody have any questions, thoughts, ideas, comments? You could unmute. It's a real turning point in Jewish history. We start the king. It's so ironic to me. I really have to say it's so ironic to me because if you look at Sefer Malachim, like Sefer Shoftim is an argument why we need kings. Right? Sefer Malachim is an argument why we, kings are bad. The entire northern kingdom, right? Right, Malchus is really, you can't find one good guy there. And the southern kingdom is much better. He's like, what are, what are we doing? Right, king after king, messing up. But that's, uh, that's how it is. Maybe that is a problem with this form of government. But we definitely have our ideal king. We definitely have that picture of David Amela, who's waving at me over there. Hi, Ben and Zahaba's backyard. Hello. Hi, girls. So you, we definitely have a picture of what, you know, what a king should be. And it's, um, so few of them lived up to that. All right, but yeah, but okay. Jews are here very ungrateful to Shmuel, and it's a sad story. By the way, for those of you who are in full, this is the upcoming Haftorah, chapter 12, which is the sequel to chapter 8. So you can check, check that out. All righty, we're moving on with Hukat. So going back with the Hattoris from Shoftim. All righty. How's everybody? Everybody's muted, so no one's That's huh? great. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now you have a, a Ruth all the way over there, back home. Ruth had just left yeah. So, uh, you see, you know, the altar Slobodka used to say the bridge from Kovna to Slobodka only goes one way. Once you go to Slobodka, you never leave. So we laugh about it. Once you go to Dreshwakle, you never leave. Bridge only goes one way. <laughs> you go and you stay. So, yeah. Anyway, nice to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for the shiur. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to see you. Okay. Everybody else? Thanks, Mom. We need a long talk. We have a lot to talk about. You have to call me when, when things are calm and we'll schmooze. All right. All right, ladies. So remember, next week, we're skipping the week after Bezrat Hashem. I'm going to meet Shaul. It's a really fun chapter. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh,